0: Log Talk Radio.
2: We'll go back in time. The season's past when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron grapes. Welcome to Gridiron Grapes Football History and its memorabilia on the Gridiron Grapes Publishing and Broadcasting Network. We're in conjunction with Swick Enterprises, and we're live from the Southport, North Carolina home, Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America that focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150-plus years of football history and memorabilia. You'll find us on the web at com. It's at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host He's a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine. A football memorabilia historian specializing in pre-World War II items in particular Red Grange and also Seattle Seahawk items in particular Speedboard. He hails from Portland, Oregon. Mr. Joe, Spurs, Joe, welcome to the show this evening.
1: Red Grange and Steve Largent. That's me, Bob. Great to be on the show.
2: Good to be back from last week's show, which got a a rousing, uh thunderous applause from many people. Interested yeah. in hearing what our Last guest Ken Crippin was talking about with the, especially about the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I got a lot of feedback on it. It was pretty pretty interesting to read and hear and talk to people about it one
1: way or the other. But
2: in any you event You know what?
1: You know what? That yeah. was just something I pulled off of his website when I was doing some background on him. That wasn't one of our questions to ask.
2: That was just right. I noticed right. he had
1: that criteria, the hall of mediocrity. And uh we We talk about that a lot, you know amongst us collectors, just uh how it's being diluted. That was just kind of an innocuous question i, I wanted his opinion on it, and that turned into a great topic
2: and again, I think it, he reinforced what I had been feeling for a long time that the the Hall of fame really i don't know why a lot of those guys are in there. I mean it doesn't make any sense and I'm not trying to belittle the guys, but it's you know you've got to really to me, play at a pretty high level if you're considered a Hall of Famer. And uh, again, because you got a lot of younger guys who don't see anything else, this is who they're going to vote for, and that's it. And that's not really a good situation for the Hall of Fame in any way, shape, or form. But in any event, uh, before we get started on what we're going to talk about, I want to point out, and we had talked about this beforehand, we've gone over pretty much the 35 Chickle set, the 48 the to 55 Bowman football sets, and we discussed the 55 All-American set. So naturally, our next step would be talking about the 56 top set, because we try to talk about at least one set uh, each uh, month show, one of the shows during the month. But because our special guest tonight is such an expert on it, we're going to hold off and uh, we'll engage a conversation with him. The 56 cap set. So we'll go a little off script here. Uh, I'm going to hand off to you, Joe, about a very interesting vending box that's up for auction right now.
1: Yeah, two vending boxes in Heritage. That I, I, you know me, I love uh, I love auction season, and it seems like auction season is uh, ongoing lately. But two really interesting vendings coming up. Uh, First one in, in Heritage that end in about a week is a 1959 vending first series to 32,000 right now. Uh, it's described as 500 loose cards with 71 seven-card packs. So at some point there were two pictures, one of the bottom and one of the top of, the, uh, of it, but it's not sealed. It's not BBCE sealed. And I'm like, okay. So I, you can ask a question at the bottom like, hey, would you mind uh, sending a picture of what it looks like inside? When you say packs, what do you mean? Because I didn't know vending came in packs. And of course, I never got a response. But today I went to look to see uh, where, what price it was at. And I noticed they added a picture. And the picture was of the inside of the box. And they added a description. We didn't mean to call them packs. What they are is they're bundled. And the quote is, like one would associate with currency. And if you look at the picture, It's like money, like money, where they've bundled it together with brown paper. Uh, So there are 71 seven-card groupings, bundles, that are wrapped around the middle with a band of of brown paper. Uh, Obviously, this isn't, as I mentioned, not BBC sealed. So, you know, the problem is, is somebody, you know, it's not like you can find these, seven-card bundles, you know, around. But obviously somebody could go into those bundles and kind of look and see what the card is, pull them out, and then slip a card in. So, I mean, the fact that it's not BBC Sealed, the fact that nobody's seen it, I mean, 32K, a little bit of a roll of the dice there, even though it's a beautiful set. I love the 59 Top set. I
2: never saw the uh, Brown wrapper. however... My memory is me being jagged right now. I, I vaguely remember someone talking about that years ago. That that was a very common way of the uh, the way the vending boxes or certain vending boxes were. I can't confirm that one way or the other. But that's interesting. And again, it's not BB. It's not sealed. I don't know why anybody would be paying that kind of money on it for. You know what I mean? Yeah. It I doesn't make doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Because you could get a good dog there and or you're figuring you're going to buy it with the caveat you're going to...
1: Bob, did we lose you?
0: Now. Joe, I'm here.
1: Okay, so I think Bob's having audio problems, but we'll move on to the other vending that we're talking about. Thanks, Kurt. I appreciate it. I never know if it's me or you know technology on the other side. Since Bob's in control of the control panel, Uh, well, the other, the other, oh, the other, the other vending case. Oh, the the other vending that's for sale in Heritage is a 1968 Series 2 vending, again with 500 cards, like the 59. This one's at six thousand, and it's sealed by BBCE. So the fact that one is sealed and one isn't, a uh, little bit of an eyebrow raise. But you know, Steve Hart, he's been a guest of the show. A very fascinating guest to talk about his expertise. Uh, you know, stuff like that is just why is one sealed, one not? You know, that would almost warrant, uh, you know, you know, something in the in the lot description. Like you know, we sent this to BBCE. You know, Steve looked at it, says it's authentic, it appears on, you know, something. I've seen those descriptions before. But uh, 68 vending, Series 2, you know, which, you know, obviously has like Bob Greasy in there. It's uh, only at 6K, sealed, and about, uh, you know, about, you know, one-fifth the price of the 59 vending unsealed. There's two very rare vending I've never really big, been a big vending collector just because of the way the cards are in the box. You know, the box can get dinged and affect the edges of the card. I guess you could say the same about wax packs, but packs in
2: the I remember back in the 19, early 1980s, there were a lot of uh, closeout vending boxes, which were 500-card boxes, especially for baseball, that a lot of dealers oh. used to just get rid of for $5 a box. And uh, it was the same deal, like with the wax boxes, where you had the the uh, black line put through the front of the box, so you know it was a return, and yeah. you get you would buy the returns for a nickel a pack, which was a dollar eighty a box, <laughs> and a lot of a lot of dealers used to resell them for five dollars a box at the same time. But uh, again, <laughs> vending boxes, if, unless they are sealed, or unless the Providence on him is, is really pure. Yeah. I really hesitate to say if I would buy him, you know, buy a vending box and spend that kind of money. So that's why I'm kind of surprised on the 59 the fifty nine box right now. Doesn't really make a lot of
1: sense to me. Yeah. Kind of cool. A good glimpse of history. I've never seen I've never seen uh, them packed like that, I guess would be the best way to say it. And today when I saw they added that description like one would bundle currency i also noticed that third picture that they added which you know people you know people shouldn't have to ask for that uh and it was just it was fascinating to look at it
2: especially on a thirty-two thousand dollar bid what are you gonna be kidding me i mean what what what, two two pictures
1: the the top and the side of the box yeah i
2: mean i mean it's ridiculous Uh, oh let me Oh, no, don't, don't even don't even show me the box. Let me just bid at it blind. <laughs> Put my bid in for fifty thousand dollars. Don't worry about it. No big deal. And if well, there's, uh, if there's it's like five cars beat up in there, that's it. You know. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't idea. know. I, I I just don't get it sometimes. I, I don't know. I don't understand the hobby sometimes. This is one of the times that I really don't understand it. You know, you guys. Not you, but I'm just saying the auction houses. You know, claim the, every 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 other one is the greatest, better than the other one, and so on and so forth. Then you see something like this, and you say, "Why would I put my collection in this company's hands if they can't even yeah. describe it correctly, and they don't even want to show a picture of it at the same time?" Good yeah, Lord.
1: unbelievable. Yeah, if you're the consignor, really unbel- if you're the consigner, <laughs> it's, it's one of those where it's like, "Hey, man, can you uh, show a few more pictures?" But Heritage is obviously a good auction house. They draw a lot of uh, consignments. They you know, but they're they're also, you know, they have an attention problem, a focusing problem. You know, they do real estate and art and you know, automobiles. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you click you click on that, you have to dig down to sports is one category out of you know 15 on their website, and then in sports it breaks it down. There's other options. You know, you go to REA, you know, or Love of the Game, and it's uh, you know, it's sports. It's all sports. It's their focus. So you're probably going to get a little bit better write up, a little bit more care you know they they know so eh, who knows
2: well you know that's, it's that's why i that's why I do agree with you an r e a auction, a love of the game auction, or a Leland's auction yeah i mean you got you're confident, you don't really have to worry about something like that when you say, but again, i just really i I can't fathom that you would have to get that question asked that question asked about a piece as in my opinion very valuable and very rare in the hobby. And, again, it's treated like, uh, you know, whatever, a a common box of curds or whatever. doesn't make any sense
1: to me. Yeah. really doesn't. Yeah. Unbelievable. Really cool to see. Really, really cool to see old, you know, and, uh, you know, it's a good segue for our guest coming up because, you know, uh, he's collecting unopened as well. But it's, uh, you know, just people's opinion on that. I'm not a big fan of vending, like I said, just because of, uh, you know, you know, at some point, somebody's had access to that box and been able to pick through it, unless, as you mentioned, you absolutely know the provenance of it. You know, it. Uh, you know.
3: Right. You know,
1: it's uh, yeah. Just it's hard not to show it and pick through. I you, you know. But oh well, that's just me. So, but yeah, some really cool things. Uh, you know, I, I I love auctions. REA just popped. Uh, Memory lanes running. Gosh, we some. Go to auctions? Uh, no, mem- uh, my, uh, Memory Lane just ended. Mile High just started. So, yeah. It, it, it might be winter still, but it feels like uh, auction season.
2: Right, right. Well, our special guest is here, and I'd like to introduce him to our audience. Our special guest tonight, while growing up near Iowa City, he's raised an Iowa Hawkeyes fan and remains so to this day. As a kid, he was an avid sports card collector, with basketball and football being his main focus. After high school, he attended Iowa State University to study engineering and returned to his hometown afterwards to work in the family business in 2003. About this time, he rediscovered his childhood card collection, and he got back into collecting. As he started joining online forums and meeting other collectors, he started to define and narrow his collecting focus. One collector, our co-host Joe Squires, was very inspirational to him as Joe is assembling graded football card sets from the '35 oh, set through the mid-'80s. The task seemed daunting and challenging, yet exciting, and something he could work on for years to come. So he decided to tackle a similar project from 1930 for the 1972 top set. Throughout his time collecting, he started to become more intrigued with the dealer side of the hobby and began to straddle the fence between collector and dealer. Around 2019, he decided to leave his job and started selling sports cards full-time through his company, BBC Emporium Incorporated. At this time, I'd like to welcome our special guest, Mr. Kurt Frigal. Kurt, welcome to the show. Hey,
0: thank you very much for having me. It's, uh, it's an honor, and uh, it's a little intimidating to be in the presence of two uh, hobby legends such as you two.
2: You know, I was thinking about it, Kurt. Uh, the last time I saw you, we were taking you back to the airport there uh, from Jeff Payne's house and his little gathering that weekend. And uh, I, I remember commenting, to we were in the car with Mike Blaisdell, who was driving, after we dropped you off, we went back to the hotel, freshened up, and then we found a local restaurant bar there, and we ended up watching the night game, got something to eat, and we were talking about the hobby. And I said to him straight out, I said, you know, I really like Kurt. It was, for, you know, I had communicated him with him via email, and I never met him in person, but I I thought it was very, very, very good to see someone younger getting into the hobby, who has some enthusiasm. And it has uh, a good set of ethics and moral values in his dealings, and you were talking about the business at that time, so I thought it was I thought it was a, it was a good situation and now we fast forward what's it now about four four years later, and uh, look what happened. It's kind of amazing to me, so I, I got to congratulate you on, on uh doing well and and working with collectors and and with people buying their collections and so on and so forth. I know it's a daunting task one way or the other trying to help and trying to find cards. And, uh, you're doing a great job. I, I, I'm glad to see it.
0: I, I appreciate those kind words, Bob. Um, I, I tell you what, I, I enjoy what I do and, you know, frankly, I, you know, I wouldn't be where I was at if it wasn't for other collectors like yourself and Joe. I've, I've learned a lot from you guys and, um, like I said, both you guys have been pretty inspirational for me in my in my journey. So um, I appreciate what you guys bring to the hobby as well.
2: Well, thanks. But I'm gonna I'm gonna lead off tonight. We'll get back to you now. Can you tell our audience how you became interested in football and in uh, football card collecting?
0: Sure. Uh, give you a little background of myself. I I grew up in small town Iowa. Um, Growing up, I was very involved in, in all types of sports. I ran track, played basketball, wrestled, played football. Football was definitely my, my primary sport. Um, I was a, a running back and a linebacker, and um, it, was, it was by far my favorite sport. And, and after high school, when I moved back, I actually participated, I and I did high school um, I coached high school football for a few years as well. So in terms of the sport itself, um, it's, it's always been something, um, I've, I've played and it kind of naturally led into, um, collecting football cards. I, ironically growing up, um, you know, I grew up in the, the mid nineties, probably like when Michael Jordan was at his heyday at his peak. So when I was collecting cards as like, uh, elementary kid I collected all sports during that time my main focus was probably um, basketball as I said I was a big Jordan fan but also probably my favorite basketball player was like David Robinson my favorite football player was Barry Sanders so um, it wasn't until later on post-college when I got into collecting seriously that I kind of Start to kind of really define and narrow my focus, and and get into the football cards. But yeah, that's kind of a, a brief history of how I I gained interest in the sport and the hobby.
2: You know, it's interesting when you're you're talking about Michael Jordan cards. I I do remember it. I know this got nothing to do with football, but when back in the '80s when I used to set up um, at the end of the '86-'87 basketball season. It was very common for any sport, dealers would try to get rid of their excess wax boxes and put that money into the newer wax boxes that were coming out. So guess what? Uh, There were a lot of 86, 87 wax packs being sold very cheaply, wax boxes being sold for five and ten bucks at the time. And um, I, I always said to myself, I think back, and because I had no interest in basketball, I would never... You know, want to buy those boxes or whatever type of thing. And I remember handling several 86, 87 basketball sets over the years, back in the 80s mostly, before the explosion occurred. And uh, I look back at it and I say, wow, I had never, (laughs) I could never imagine how valuable those cards became uh, as the years went on. It was just truly amazing to me to watch. And one other quick basketball no, again nothing to do with football star basketball was very unpopular at the time and i remember several dealers who got you know um for lack of a better term clearance lots of them in the actual star bags and uh they couldn't even sell them for like five dollars a bag or whatever type of thing so I, I just got to laugh at what i saw many many years ago to say the least
0: well, I can I can oh. tell you for me, I I growing up like the '86 Fleer cards. I mean, those those were yeah those were things of myth. I mean, I couldn't even imagine having an '86 yeah. Fleer card when I was a kid. Like I was like buying like '1990 Fleer packs. I, I remember I I got I got a hold of like a dozen cards from the '1987 Fleer set, and I. I mean, I just thought these things were the rarest thing ever. And when when I got back into collecting, I remember the very first card. I went on to eBay. I bought a 1987 Fleer Isaiah Thomas. That was the very first card I bought when I got back into collecting. I'm like, I mean, it all went downhill after that. But, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> hey, so 86 Fleer was rare even in the mid you know, early mid-90s for you, Kirk?
0: Well, yeah, so for me, and I don't know if it was just the, the stores that were selling cards, but yeah, like, the, you know, at that time, like I said, it was probably late 80s, early 90s. I think at that time, the 86 Jordan rookie had started to get gotten a little bit more notoriety and it wasn't as cheap as before. But like, now, like I, I never once saw an '86 Fleer card growing up. I, I saw him like in Beckett price guides. I'm like, oh man, if only if. But yeah, I've never spent. i never seen him.
1: <laughs> I, uh, I own one wax pack that is not football, and it is a '86 Fleer basketball. I splurged on it about four years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Joe, you're Joe at the next. Joe, the next oh. national.
2: Yeah, you know, at the next national, you should try just busting
1: the packs, see what happens. <laughs> well, the the coalition of those packs is very well known, Bob, and uh, I I peak, and let's just say I already I already know I don't have a Michael Jordan in my pack. Yeah, uh, I believe it. Um, uh, Kurt, man, uh, thanks for being on the show, I've, 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 and I appreciate the nod, you know, in your in your introduction, dude. You're and right back at you. You've always been a really Classy collector, I obviously, you know, gravitate towards like-minded, you know, cool people who, yeah, who, who appreciate the hobby. So, I don't know. I, I've, I've considered you a good friend for a long time.
0: Uh, I wanted to add a couple things
1: to your bio. I, I looked up your Hawkeyes, your 56, you know, 1956 Topps Hawkeye set. You've had the number one spot in the 56 Top set. Since from 2012 to 2022, that's 10 years. 2019, you got a Hall of Fame Gold Star for one of the top football sets. And in 2022, you got the red 10-year ribbon. Your number one set, you have a 9.1 GPA. And that weighted GPA thing that they do, you have a 9.72. You have 13 one-of-one PSA 10s. I just, this is, it's an incredible set. Uh, so when Bob and I were running down, like, all right, well, 56 tops is next. I'm like, man, there's nothing that we could say that you, you know, you couldn't say 10 times better. That's where the idea of having you on the show is. So, you know, so you, you are the expert. So let, let's, let's start in on the 56 top set and what you can share with our audience about it
0: sure so, so first off, I'll give you a little bit of background of how I got into the fifty six football set. It was a little bit by circumstance and chance, like going into it the fifty six set was not like my favorite set. um in fact, you know, just jump ahead a little bit I'll, I'll get into this more more in depth as we get go through some more questions, but kind of my collecting focus eventually became graded sets from the 35-chickle all the way to 72-tops. And kind of what I was looking for, and, and Joe is very similar to kind of the scope of your collection, I was trying to put together all of those sets and kind of the eight range is what I was shooting for. So, you know, I can recall there was a memory lane auction yeah. that came out. And they were selling off, I believe it was either the number one or the number two fifty six football set, and I'm like man like this is this is a lot nicer condition than what I'm going for in the other sets, but I'm like, you know what you know it's um i I was able to pick it up at a pretty good price, and I thought, well, this will be the one set i kinda, I kind of go wild on like i I typically yeah. didn't like spending like big money like on these high grade commons, but For the 56 set, I made an exception. So I I spent a bunch of money on buying the set. And then I remember – and, Joe, you may not recall this, but I actually came to you and got some advice from you. Like, after I bought that set, like, Memory Lane ran ran another auction. Like, the following auction, they were selling a bunch of 56 individual cards, like, all in nines and tens. And I'm kind of like, oh, crap, I just – I just spent a bunch of money on buying this set and now I got all these upgrade opportunities. I'm like, man, I'm like, I was, I was scared that I was like putting too much money into these cards, yeah. like, man. It's like, this seems a little bit, you know, out of control. So I remember it was right around the national yeah. Joe. And I, I I said, Joe, these cards are coming up. I'm like, I'm not sure if it's worth going after them. And, and you, honestly, I forget the advice you gave me, but I, you, you kind of gave me some like general rules of thumb, like, Hey, yeah. you know, pay what you feel comfortable. I forget the exact thing, but I ended up picking like, picking up impactful. like 20, like 20 yeah. PSA 10s. Yeah. It was real impactful. So I ended up like upgrading that, that set, like very quickly out of the gates and, you know, from that time on, it was kind of like, wow. It's like, so as you're chasing after, like the best yeah. of the best in, in a set, you start to learn a lot about that particular set. You start to understand Absolutely. why certain cards are very difficult to find. You start to find little nuances in the set. And, um, you know, so anyway, all that background saying that that's kind of how I got into the 56 set. Um, I, I, when I look at a football set, there's kind of three things I typically look at to determine how much I like a set. First off, you know, you have to kind of look at the overall card design. I'm um, quite frankly, the 56 set on a design standpoint, I don't mind it. It's it's not my favorite. In fact, it's probably kind of middle of the pack. It's got very, huh. like, bold, strong colors. So, like, yeah, yeah. From, a, in a, from a an appearance standpoint, like, it's not at the top of my list. Um, the other thing I look for is kind of like, does it have, like, a good crop of Hall of Fame rookies included? You know the '56 yep. set; it, it isn't bad. Um, I wouldn't say it's got All like right. any like real super yep. high caliber rookies. You've got like Lenny yep. Moore, Roosevelt it's Brown, got five, Joe Schmidt. Five Hall
2: of
0: Yeah, exactly. Yep. Bill George and Stan Jones. So, you know, once again, it's got a pretty decent selection, but not like not not like off the charts. Um, nothing compared to like the '52 Bowman or something like that. Yeah. But then the yeah. the last criteria I kind of look at is. You know, are there some challenges within the set in terms of, like, short prints, you know, really hard variations? And that's where I think the 56 set's got a lot of – it's got some neat challenges. You have not just the cards themselves, but you have the contest cards, which we can kind of delve into yeah. a little bit. Um, and then overall, in terms of the 56 set, everything's fairly – fairly easily easy to acquire there's if you look at the uh the overall sheet layout there's there's two teams if you look at the sheet first off you'll see that every row of the sheet is made up of a team from the set so like the 49ers makes up a row and so on so forth if you kind of look at how the set was laid out on the sheets um every team was on the sheet twice except for the Cardinals and the Redskins. Um, those were yeah. single printed cards. And because of that, they're um, easier to acquire. So, so that's kind of like a real general background on the 56 set. Um, and I, and I guess I, I got a few like anomalies and like little things that we can delve into unless you guys got some questions beforehand.
1: Pretty, pretty, re- pretty rare to lay a sheet out by team because usually sheets are laid out by color so they can, you know, so, you know, for ink, for saving ink. So uh, I noticed that because, you know, I have a partial 56 uncut sheet, and that was one of the first things I noticed, and it's it's absolutely unique to the 56 set to lay it out by team. So, uh, and talking about how difficult some cards are, one thing I noticed in your set, Number forty-nine, Eddie LeBaron. You have a PSA eight point five. It is a one of one, none higher. What's up with yeah. that card?
0: So, so once again, that's you know that's going to come you know from the Redskins, and which is a short printed yep. one of the short printed um, teams from that set. Now, here, here's you know, and, and I would say pretty much any of your your average collector is going to kind of know Um, that those two teams are short-printed. What a lot of people may not realize is there was a big find of 56s, um, I want to say back in the late 90s, and the odd thing about this find is there was only a very limited number of cards that were included in this find. This find did not have, like, every card across the set. And interestingly, Ah. there, there was a lot there's a lot of cardinal's cards that were found in this find. And if you kind of map out the cards that were found in this big find, there's a very distinct pattern on on the uncut sheets from this find. For for example, a good example would be like George Blanda. If you've ever noticed, it's very easy and they're very plentiful to find a George Blanda in a 9 or a 10. That happened to be one of the cards that was in this big find. So as a result, that card is very plentiful. And another, another thing is there, there was a lot of Cardinals cards that were found in this big find. So why those cards are short printed? I would say about half of, um, are fairly easy to easy to find. Um, take like the team card, for example, um, you look at where it lays out on the sheet, the Cardinals team card, very lower left corner. And as you guys know, cards are located in the corners of sheets,
1: they're yep. typically
0: more susceptible to centering wear, things like that. Yep. So you have this card that's in the corner of a sheet and it's also a single printed card, yet it's yep. very easy to find in high grade because there was a lot of them that came through on this fine in the late nineties. So, that being said, when you look at the single printed teams, the Redskins are much harder to find in high grade than the Cardinals cards.
1: Yeah, I assumed Eddie LeBaron, number number 49, I mean, you said they laid out by team, so card number doesn't really correlate to location on a sheet. So yes. I assumed uh, Eddie LeBaron somehow landed on a corner. Because a PSA 8.5, one of one none higher, that's pretty scarce. That's pretty rare. Oh, yeah. That's disease. Yeah. Kratkowski.
2: So that, in theory, exactly. Did they? In theory, is it uh, or can we make an assumption? They were on the ends of the sheet and they threw them out, or they they saved them, or what do you think? I, I'm just curious because we talked about this uh, before over the years.
0: Are you talking um, in terms of why there's only a very select number of cards in this big find, Bob?
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, right. you know what that, that right. yeah. is?
0: It's, it's something that, um, you know, I, I've thought about it for a while. Because, like, you know, when you have your uncut sheets, you have a 220-card sheet, and then they're split in half to form like sheet A, sheet B. If you look at the cards from this find, they're pretty well isolated to the bottom three rows of sheet A, which, you know, you think about it, Obviously, there must have been an excess whether the top half of the sheet got ruined if they you know it, it's it's an interesting question to ask why there were so many of those cards from the bottom three rows of sheet a. I've yet to hear a real convincing argument or or theory as to why, but um, I'm sure there
2: has to be a reason Wow Kurt you're you were working on your 35 to 72 run. Out of that run, uh, what, did you have a favorite set or sets in the uh, run? Nope,
0: absolutely. I I would say my favorite set, hands down, is the 52 Bowman Large set. And and I tell you what, I, I talked about my three criteria. I kind of you know I look at on a set. To me, the 52 Bowman, in my opinion. It's one of the nicest-looking sets ever made. They're like little pieces of artwork, in my opinion. It's got a, yeah. it's got a tremendous, you know, group of Hall of Fame rookies. And then the, the short prints are, are in, you know, infamous in that set. So, to me, it's like yep. that set hits, like, checks every single box in terms of, like, a good, challenging set to work on.
1: Yeah, the most popular I wrote that article, you know, the most popular set in 52 Bowman was the number one set for the last decade, not even close. I mean, it is by far the most popular right. selected set.
0: I, Joe, Joe, I know uh, you're a big fan of the 64 top set, but I, I still put the 52 Bowman after that.
1: You mean 54 oh, Bowman? A, or?
0: No, no, I was, I was joking. I, I know you're not a big fan oh. of the 64 top set.
1: Oh good God, no. I think yeah, I think the sixty seven thoughts. Which one's the one with all the weird border stuff? Is that sixty seven or sixty 64? four?
0: Well, sixty kinda of got like the stars that go around the border. Yeah.
1: That set yeah. is ridiculous.
0: <laughs> now, now, Bob Bob I remember one time Bob discussing the fifty six set. I remember you had mentioned And this is referring to the contest cards. So for the contest cards, you have five different contest cards. you got contest card one, two, and three, and then you have A and B. And I believe you had mentioned at one point that there was kind of a hobby legend out there that supposedly a contest card C possibly existed. Is that something you have have ever heard much on?
2: Yeah, I never confirmed it one way or the other and I never saw it. So I don't know if it's hiding somewhere or if it did get discovered. I I missed it. I don't know. So what, yeah. what's your take on it?
0: Well, you know what? So one thing that I tried to do is, you know, Mike Thomas has done a great job of like recreating yeah. all the virtual uncut sheets. The, the one area he never got into is kinda like On the checklist and the contest cards, you know, obviously they were cut down from something. So what I tried to do is I went back and I scoured thousands of images trying to find miscut contest cards and checklists. And I I think I found enough where I was able to kind of recreate what an uncut contest checklist sheet looked like. And oh, from what I came up with, there really wasn't – there wasn't a place for the contest card C, but, you know, it, it, it wasn't a conclusive sheet that I came up with. But I my guess is that does not exist, but it's always fun to hope that it might.
2: Yeah, I don't I, – I really don't think – you know, I really don't think it, it was out there, but it probably was and never got distributed or whatever – I really don't know one way or the other of them. And, again, I never collected any of the contest cards, but I did find the two checklists as the years went on for 50 second, 56 tops and the 57 tops and they were pretty difficult to find. And I was never worried about them being unchecked or whatever. You know, I got mine pretty badly checked. In fact, I'm looking at them right now. And, um, you know, they are what they of are. Of course but you are. Contest cards, always, contest cards are always intriguing to me, and especially that, that card B. And thanks for jagging my memory on that. I had forgotten about that for quite a few years, but that's interesting that you mentioned it again. Yeah.
0: The the one other kind of interesting anomaly on the 1956 set is there occasionally you'll find four cards from that set that are cut oversized. They they will not fit in a standard PSA uh, holder. And, they have they have to put them like in, they put them in like this jumbo oversized holder, and it's only isolated to four cards. Now, obviously, every time you know, there's instances of these cards that are proper size, but there's the Buddy Young, there's the, I believe it's the Sh- Chicago Bears team card, and I think it's the Chuck Ulrich. But those cards there you'll find them often and if you look at where those cards align on the sheet they're all on sheet A on the very right edge the it's like the first four cards starting from the bottom right going vertical those four huh. cards for whatever reason got some of them got cut jumbo sized and once again it, it, they happen to be in that same sheet section where that big find came from. So, maybe the two are Mm -hmm. related. I I don't know, but that's another thing. I was kind of like, why are some of these cards oversized?
1: All borders are fat, like, uh, you know, equidistant, or is the right border fat?
0: No, no, they, from what I've seen, they seem to be fairly, um, you know, I would say maybe the right edge is slightly bigger, which makes sense, because that's the the right edge would be the edge of the sheet. If you go too far left, you're going to get into that adjacent card on the sheet. But it's not yeah. like this. The centering is not like crazy off center left to right. Um, the the examples that I have, I think, I think they're they're nines, but they're they're fairly centered cards. They're just oversized.
1: Interesting. Okay.
0: Wow. Which is kind of which is kind of like a it's kind of a n- nice thing to see cards in our hobby not being short being actually big for once right so as a trimming as a trimming joke
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. no I uh, uh, <laughs> I'm picking up what you're putting down
0: brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. But, yeah, those are some of, like, me, some of the kind of the interesting things that I learned about the 56 football set. Um, You know, there's other things. Like, on the 56 set, you'll notice, like, the printing quality was horrendous when it came to, like, fish eyes, print dots, things like that. I mean, throughout the 50s and 60s, I think that's a fairly common problem. But, like, 56 seems to be worse than normal. And the same thing with the centering, too, like – like I go out and buy a lot of like childhood collections, original collector collections, and like fifty six centering is just horrendous coming
1: out of the factory. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Bob's those got are it? my
0: those are my insights on the fifty six uh...
1: Can you hear us?
2: Yeah. The um Getting back to what you were saying with the 52 Bowman large set, and again, I've mentioned this numerous times. I started and stopped that set several times, given up on it because of card 144, the Lansford card, and the the cost of it. Mm -hmm. And I do have the 52 small set complete, but I know it doesn't compare to the 52 large set. Joe, back to
0: you. the the lansford's really interesting because if you look at kind of like psa's population report that the lansford's a short printed card but it's not like the most rare card in the set by by a stretch um i I think there's a lot of like you know the fact you know the first and the last card draws a lot of attention and for some reason that card's just gained a lot of, like, hobby lore about, oh, the land's for yeah. last card in the set. But there's other ones that are quite a bit more difficult.
1: Yeah. I love that. Exactly. So just the math that goes into divisible by nine minus one. I mean, just how it lays out on a sheet, yeah. et cetera. So. Do you have a – I mean, you've, you've been collecting for a long, long time. Do you have any yeah. interesting stories you want to share with the audience, like meeting strange men in airports with duffel bags?
0: oh uh, yeah I, I gotta tell that story so um while, while I was working while, while I was working on my set, joe was kind of joe was kind of winding down on his um um joe it's, it's my understanding that you you know i think you still enjoy like the mainstream cards, but I think your focus has yep. now gone earlier into the more kind of rare rare type items yes. you are spot on yeah. Yep. So I, I knew that Joe was kind of going to kind of sell him some of his sets and like, well, shoot, it's like his scope was almost identical to mine. So I reached out to Joe. I'm like, Hey, listen, let's try to put together a big deal. So we went back and forth several times and like, we ended up like making a deal on, it was probably shoot. I don't know, Joe, if you remember how yeah. many cards Or probably a thousand cards, somewhere in that range, probably, but all graded cards, um and it was a pretty big deal right i mean we were talking nice valuable older cards so uh-huh. we, come to an ag- we come to an agreement on the price and we're kind of like okay it's like there's always the question that comes like how are we going to actually exchange money and exchange the cards with that many cards it starts to become pretty laborious to ship all those so like joe's like i got an idea he's like I'm gonna send one of my employees. I'm gonna fly him out to Iowa. You meet him at the airport, make the exchange. I maybe it's, it's actually Chicago, I believe. I drove Chicago. up to Chicago. Yeah, we so we no, met the flying, flying your, Yeah. Your <laughs> so, wife was
1: flying to Mexico and that was her stop.
0: Yeah, that yeah, you're exactly, you're right. Your your memory's better than mine, exactly. So <laughs> I remember there was two suitcases full of graded cards and Joe's employee shows up, and I'm waiting for him outside the airport security. He shows up carrying one bag. I'm like, oh, this is, this is interesting. There's supposed to be two suitcases. And the guy's like, uh, yeah, he's like, they wouldn't let me on with those suitcases. I had to check one of them. And I'm kind of like, okay, that scared me a little bit, but probably not a big deal. We'll just wait for the luggage to come through. Well, the luggage starts to come through and like the second suitcase doesn't show up and like panic is starting to ensue so like i'm like i'm starting to sweat bullets and i'm trying to like maintain calm but like i'm starting to get nervous because we're going to like you know the the airlines were asking about it and they finally located the bag but they're like listen neither like they wouldn't let either of us go get the bag they were going to send it back to um, what was it? a yeah, Portland, I think. Yeah. And I'm like, yep. crap, this is, this is a nightmare. I I ended up kind of sweet talking one of the, one of the agents and they ended up giving me the second bag. But yeah, that was probably one of my more nervous transactions was buying a, a big chunk of Joe's collection.
1: I remember it's like, how do you get two people who've never met to meet? So it's was like, Cindy, I met him in the morning. He gave him the bags. <laughs> Took a picture of him, texted both of you. Hey, here's what he looks like, and then you sent a picture of you. Some, like two two strange men meeting in an
0: airport. <laughs> exactly. So
1: unbelievable. That,
0: that was one <laughs> memorable event. Um, you know, I would say the two other things that really stand out to me, and they're not so much specific stories, but more kind of general things. Is one is. As I got more involved in the hobby, you start to meet other people. You start to make friends. And, you know, to me, I think we probably all agree, that's one of the most special parts about the hobby is being able to meet other collectors. And, you know, for me, it's like growing up in Iowa, I'm collecting these cards. Like nobody else around me can relate to what I'm doing. And they probably think I'm some sort of, like, weirdo. So, like, you meet these other people, and they have, like, the exact same passion as you. It's just like, yeah it, it 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 clicks with you and like so that i've always enjoyed that aspect of it and then probably lastly more from a dealer side um like i said i go out a lot and i i'll buy private collections and nothing i love more than like going to a childhood collection and like talking to the original owner hearing the stories it's like you know, it's it's like treasure hunting. So it's like, in terms of like a, an adrenaline excitement buildup. You know, it's hard to yeah. beat that feeling as well.
2: You know, it's a it's a tough thing to sell a collection, and I, you know, I've been thinking about it as I've been getting older. You know, I look at my run, and I, it's not. You know, it's not gem mint. You know, it's not graded or anything like that. But I just think yeah. back at all the all the you know travels i had putting the putting the set together before the internet you know age then after the internet as the internet age became prevalent finding a lot of hard to find cards so on and so forth and i just i look back and i'm i'm looking at my bookcase right now with all the binders in it that's going to be really tough for me to sell at the end type of thing and um you know now since i moved i have i'm being semi-retired now, I have a lot more time, obviously, to do things, and I do spend a lot more time going through my run, pulling an album out every night and, and looking at, and really looking at the cards and saying, I got to, I really got to improve some of these cards because they're some of my early cards are nasty, but I also remember the stories when I got them and who I got them from and so on and so forth. So it's great memories. Yeah. It's, it's just you know, it's, 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 yeah. it's a nice thing, and I. I give you a lot of credit, Kurt, because I can I can see you coming. If I never knew you, and I called you, and you know we're looking at it, and you know Brenda said already, I'm going to have to take you out of the house when everything gets taken out because you're going to be pumping <laughs> out, you know that type of thing. You know, and, and I get it in a way. You know, I do get yeah. it. So it's it's an it's a fine line a dealer has with a longtime collector. And it's not something like, you know, I got I got 20 whatever PSA 10 cards, just give me X amount of dollars, it's done. It's like a commodity. This is something you yeah. put a lot of effort in, you put a lot of research in, you put a lot of time in, a lot of money in, blah, blah, blah. You know, it becomes part of you type of thing. Yeah. And, I, and I always said, the toughest, the last thing that gets sold out of my collection is that, the run. And that's it. And whoever yeah. buys it, is going to have to buy the whole thing. It's not going to be piecemeal type of deal. So uh, I give you a lot of credit, you know, dealing with people like that, because I can only imagine the stories you hear and uh, from the people, you know, people you're dealing with, so on and so forth. It's part of them. You're buying part of them. Absolutely.
0: Very very strong emotional attachment to cards. And and that kind of goes to the heart of collecting, you know. I mean, I think at some sense, Collecting's all about, you know, some sort of, you know, connection to our childhood. You know, there's there's a lot. there's You know, I bought a lot of collections, and, like, you're absolutely right, Bob. It's like the reactions you see when people give up their collection. It's like a lot of memories, maybe with their fathers or buying the stuff. It's like just a lot of emotions are wrapped up in that process.
1: Yeah, Stacey exactly. Bur- Stacy knows to bury me with my larger cards. Problem solved. <laughs>
2: hey, we're, we're down to like six minutes So we're going to have to combine Several of the questions all at once So Joe uh, Why don't you go before me
1: On your yeah. question And then I'm going to combine the last two Yeah it's, We have you on for the 56 But you, you've always yeah. Some of the cards you bought for me were Hall of Famers Right now you have the number three Hall of Fame rookie card set Obviously the Hawkeye named after Iowa Hawkeyes, where you got your GED from. Uh, you have a PSA Nagursk. I was just kidding about that. Uh, one thing that kind of raised an eyebrow to me, Kurt, you have a PSA 9 Largent. You know, that kind of hurts my heart.
0: You know, I, I probably made <laughs> that to an 8 or something.
2: <laughs>
0: hey, hey, hey.
1: Uh, when, we were, when we were texting uh, back and forth, you mentioned you'd gotten into Unopened. Tell us a little bit about your Unopened collection and uh, – any trepidations you have about the unopened industry? yeah,
0: so I mean when I got into the dealer side of things, I actually sold off a lot of my sets, um, and I did that to kind of for two reasons: one, to kind of seed some money for the business, but also it's like it's hard to be both a collector and a dealer, right? It's kind of like you can't be a drug dealer and 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 partake of your own of your own product type type mentality so. One, one thing that I've always enjoyed is unopened. And, and like I said, it, as I analyze why, I think I, as a collector, I've always had some sort of like infatuation about trying to find stuff as original as it came out of the factory as possible. And to me, it's kind of like that really for me defines what unopened is to me. It's like it's the original state these cards hit the yeah. hit the, you know retail stores and for me it's just kinda like it's almost like a little time capsule of of Americana or history. And I think that probably kind of sums up my 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 passion for unopened. And and specifically it's like I I have you know I collect all types of unopened. I think the one area that I really enjoy is I like unopened cello packs. And I kind of like having, like, a Hall of Famer on top. I mean, to me, that's yeah. always kind of catching my attention, I, and I tend to go after those.
1: Yeah. I love that. I, I'm i right. nodding here, Kirk, because you summed up exactly how I feel. Little time capsules, moments in history. They're, they're not making any more of them. And it's so nostalgic to me to see a wax pack that I opened as a kid and just kind of makes me smile. Exa- exactly. Exactly. Uh, answer right,
0: question, like, oh go go ahead, Bob. We only got a few minutes left. I will no, I, I, I was gonna answer Joe's second part of the question in terms of like what's the state of the unopened hobby. Yeah. To me another thing, like I said, you know, the money aspect never drives my collecting, but it's always something in the back of your mind. But to me it's like unopened's one of those things where the the supply is never going up. You see all these companies breaking unopened. The stuff only gets more rare as time goes on. So I'm a firm believer that from a financial standpoint, the unopened stuff, um, I think it's pretty low risk in terms of, you know, that the value of that dropping, you know, barring some massive find of unopened, but I think it's pretty safe.
2: All right, we're down, we're down at two minutes per combined question any advice for a beginning collector and how can people contact you and your company
1: yep
0: so my my advice for a collector and i, I think it's pretty generic advice but um one is you know collecting's all about as we talked about it's 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 having in, something it's an enjoyable pastime to connect you back to your childhood so first and foremost have fun with what you collect. Collect something that you personally enjoy. And the second thing I think I've learned is kind of like, to me, it helped to kind of define a scope in terms of what I was doing. I, I was kind of a bit like a fart in a skillet when I started out. I'd collect a little of that, a little of that. I'd get bored of this, bored of that. Yep. And I'm like, I kind of said, hey, it's time for me to kind of, you know, assign a scope um, to to what I do. So I would say, yeah, collect what you like and kind of have an idea of, like, what the scope of your hobby is going to look like. And Sounds then in terms great. of, like, yeah, contacting me, so like I said, my my, my company's BDC Emporium. Um, myself and my brother, Aaron, are the owners of it. Um, my brother, what I do with, with baseball cards, he did the exact same with comic books, so um, we actually do oh, wow. both cards and comics with BBC Emporium. But oh, wow. you can always contact us through eBay, but also you just Google the company. Um, we're pretty easy to find uh, through a quick Google search as well. And we buy and sell. Like I said, I'm, I'm a football card guy. But when you, when you step mm-hmm. into the dealing world, you know, baseball kind of reigns supreme. But we do baseball, football, pretty much all the sports. And we've also gotten into non-sports as well. I've, I've really enjoyed that segment of the hobby as well. So we, we, we're, and with that, we're spread pretty broad.
2: And with that, Kurt, thank you for being on. We're, we are literally out of time. we got five seconds <laughs> left. Thanks for being on, and we'll be back with another show. Take care.
0: All right. Um, it's a pleasure, guys.
2: See you, man. Yep.